Let's hear God's word, turning for our Bible reading in the New Testament uh, to the Acts of the Apostles and chapter 16. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, and we're going to break into this chapter at verse 16, uh, where we join uh, Paul and Silas in Philippi. Acts chapter 16. I'm beginning to read at verse 16. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying And singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. And everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison awaking from sleep. And seeing the prison doors open. Supposing the prisoners had fled. Drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. 
Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them, and brought them out, and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison, and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them, and departed. Amen. We look to the Lord to add his own gracious blessing to both the reading and later the preaching of his own holy word. Before the big one is the name of a roller coaster at Blackpool Pleasure Beach. Originally the tallest, fastest and steepest roller coaster in the world. And I'm reliably informed that it remains the tallest roller coaster in the UK. Its website tells us that the clunking sounds of the lift hill slowly build anticipation until the release at the exhilarating first drop, sending riders hurtling along the track high above the park below. Well, I've never been for a ride on the big one. And I don't think I'm in a hurry uh, to do so. But life is often likened to a roller coaster, isn't it? We sometimes speak about the roller coaster of life. With all its ups and downs And twists and uh, turns. And uh, in the roller coaster of life, there are many competing questions. And there are many competing answers. And there are many competing choices. But we must be clear that some of the questions in life are more important than others. And some of the answers in life are more helpful than others. And some of the choices in life are more significant than others. So I'm calling the message from God's word this morning, the big one. Because we have in our text, the big question, the big answer, and the big choice. I'm calling your attention to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, and verses 30 and 31. Acts 16... Verses 30 and 31. And he, that is the Philippian jailer, brought them, that is Paul and Silas, out and said, Sirs, 
What must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Verse 30, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. First of all then, the big question. The big question. As we've said, there are many questions in life. Questions about jobs and careers. Questions about marriage and family. Questions about time and money. Questions about houses and cars and And so we could go on. But here in verse 30, the Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas the biggest question of them all. What must I do to be saved? Now on the one hand, it is a simple question. Just seven words. What must I do to be saved? This Philippian jailer, he wants to be saved. And he wants to know what he needs to do in order to be saved. But on the other hand, it is a profound question. This question, what must I do to be saved? It takes us back before time to eternity when God determined that he would save a people, a great multitude from their sins. And it takes us forward, beyond time, to heaven. Where that great multitude saved by God, saved through Christ, will be with their Saviour in glory for all eternity. It is at one and the same time a simple question and a profound question. It's a question about being saved. We might ask, why did this man need to be saved? And what did he need saving from? Well, he needed to be saved in the same way that you and I need to be saved. And he needed saving from exactly what you and I need to be saved from too. Our sin has separated us from our God. And we need our sin to be dealt with if we are to escape the hell we deserve and enter the heaven we could never deserve. It's a question about being saved. How can I have my sins forgiven? How can I be at peace with God? How can I know and be sure of heaven? 
how can I be saved? But as well as being a question about being saved, it's a question about doing something. This man felt he needed to do something in order to be saved. He needed to make salvation a priority. There was nothing more important to him in this moment of time than that he should be saved and that he should know that he is saved. And so he wants to do whatever he needs to do in order to know and to be sure that he is saved. You see, one of the great dangers in life is that we ask all sorts of questions. But we never ask the question we most need to ask. We may ask many valid questions. But oh we must ask this question above all others. Understand this morning my friend. Even if you have never understood it before. That you need to be saved. That you need to make salvation your number one priority. As this man made it his number one priority. That nothing. Absolutely nothing. Is more important than this. Than that you should know. And be sure. That you are saved. The big question. What must I do. To be saved. But we don't just have a question in our text. That's verse 30. We also have an answer. In verse 31. Again there are many answers in life. We ask many questions. And so we receive many answers. And you don't need me to tell you. That the answers we receive in life. Well some of them are good. And some of them are bad. And some of them perhaps are are indifferent. Some of the answers we receive make a real difference to us. Others, perhaps not so much. But just as a Philippian jailer asks Paul and Silas the biggest question, Paul and Silas the biggest question, so now Paul and Silas give the Philippian jailer the biggest answer. He's asked, what must I do to be saved? And they reply, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, And you will be saved. You and uh, your household. We said the man's question was a simple question. And so we may say that Paul and Silas' answer is a simple answer. Slightly longer than the question. A total sum of 15 words. But the heart, the core of the essence of their answer is given in the first six words. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart, the core, the essence of their answer. You want to be saved, jailer? Well, you need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, we said the man's question was not just simple, but at the same time profound. And so the answer that Paul and Silas give to him, likewise, is at one and the same time both simple and profound. It's a profound answer. Because to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ is the most profound thing that any of us could ever do. 
It involves an about turn. It involves a a revolution in our hearts and in our lives. That no longer should we live to please ourselves, but rather we should live to please God. And that no longer should we trust in ourselves and in our own efforts in order to get right with God and to gain entrance into heaven. But rather we should trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and in him alone all that he is and all that he has done on our behalf. His life, his death, his resurrection, his perfect life, his sin bearing death, his triumphant resurrection so this answer it's simple but it's also profound it's an answer about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and notice that little word on because it's significant Paul and Silas didn't say to the man believe In the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, you will be saved. He needed to do that. But arguably he needed to do more than that. Not just to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the distinction you might ask? What's the point I'm trying to make here? Even the devil, the Bible tells us, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows who Jesus is. He knows what Jesus is like. He is in no doubt whatsoever about him. Even the devil believes in the Lord Jesus Christ. So a mere belief in Jesus is is not going to save us. No, it is necessary not just to believe in him, that he exists and that he is who he is and that he has done what he has done. But it is necessary for us to believe on him. In other words, for him to be our hope, for him to be our confidence, for him to be our trust, for him to be our all, for him to be our everything, for us to lean our whole weight for life, For death and for eternity upon him and upon his finished work at Calvary's cross. Let me use a a common illustration. I'm not the first preacher to use this illustration. You may well have heard it before. But you came in this morning and there were rows of red chairs. And you looked at the chair and you may not have done this consciously but before you sat down at least subconsciously, you, you put your trust in that chair, didn't you? You believe that if you sat on that chair, it would hold you up. You believe that if you sat on that chair, it wouldn't collapse underneath you and you would find yourself on your backside on the floor. You put your trust in that chair to hold you. To take your weight. To bear you up. To see you through. This morning's service. And that's only a picture. But that's the difference you see. You could have believed in the chair. You could have believed that the chair. Could do all those things. And yet 
stayed standing up for the whole of the service. But you believed on the chair when you sat down. And similarly, the Lord is not calling you this morning simply to believe in Him. To believe that there is such an one as Jesus Christ. And that He is the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And that He lived a perfect life and died a sin-bearing death and rose triumphant and victorious from the dead. Yes, you need to believe that, but you need not simply to believe in it in theory. But in practice to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. To cast yourself upon him. To throw yourself upon him. To allow him to take your weight. And to say I'm trusting in him as I live. And I'm trusting in him as I die. And I'm trusting in him for now and forever. It's an answer about believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice, although they're answering this man's question, they're speaking directly to this man, they make it clear that this is an answer not just for him. They speak of him and of his household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. This is the gospel not just for you, jailer, but it's the gospel for your, for your household. It's the gospel for your family. It's the gospel for your friends. It's the gospel for any. It's the gospel for all. It's the gospel for that lovely Bible word, whoever, whoever, any and all, absolutely anyone who will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall be saved. It is the gospel for the whosoever. And praise God, that means it's the gospel for me and the good news for you here in Chelmsley Wood uh, this morning. An answer not just for this man, but for us all. That if we would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, then we shall be saved. Saved for time. And safe for eternity. Because again, you see, one of the great dangers in life is that we find answers to all sorts of questions. Necessary answers maybe. Helpful answers perhaps. But we never discover what we most need to discover. What it is to be saved. And how we may be saved. And I'm here this morning to tell you what the preacher told you last week. And what the preacher will tell you next week. But this week it's my face you're looking at. And it's my voice that you're listening to. Jesus can save you. Only Jesus can save you. But more than that, Jesus will save you. But you must trust in him. Jesus is a saviour who is able and willing to save. Able and willing. It's not just that he's able. That he can save, could save you, but he doesn't want to. It's not just that he's willing. That he would save you, but he can't. He is able and willing. He can save you. And he will. When you believe on him. 
when you trust yourself, your heart, your life and your all entirely to him. So we thought a little about the big question. That was verse 30. And we thought a little about the big answer. That was verse 31. And you might be thinking, well, we haven't got any text left. Because I said the text is verses 30 and 31. So that's us done. Well, not so fast. There is a third point. And for that we put these two verses together. We've thought about the big question. We've thought about the big answer. But number three, the big choice. The big choice. Because this man, he faced a choice. And each and every one of us, we face a choice. Again, as there are many questions in life and many answers in life, so there are many choices in life. And some of the choices we make will matter a great deal and others won't really matter very much at all. But the gospel, the message of of the Lord Jesus Christ presents you with the biggest choice of them all. Are you going to be saved or are you not going to be saved? Are you going to trust in Christ as your saviour? Or are you not going to trust in him? And again, just as the question was simple and the answer was simple, so the choice is simple. It's a straightforward choice. Either you will be saved or or you won't be saved. Either you will trust in the Lord Jesus Christ or you you won't. In that sense, it's it's not a difficult choice to understand. It's not a It's not a hard choice to to reckon with. It's the one or it's the other. But at the same time, it was a profound question. What must I do to be saved? And a profound answer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And so it is a profound choice. We must never minimize the significance of what it is to become a Christian. It is truly life transforming. In the here and now. And in all the forevers of forever. It is a choice to turn from sin. What the Bible calls repentance. To turn from sin. And what that means is that we turn around. We, each of us, we begin our lives with our face towards our sin and our back towards our God. But when we repent, we turn around. And we turn our backs towards our sin. And our face towards our God. We hate what once we loved. We understand that it is offensive to God. And we turn our backs upon it. Wanting with the Lord's help to continue in it no longer. 
But it's not just a turning from, a turning from sin. It's a turning to, a turning to Jesus Christ. It's what the Bible calls faith. We don't just hate what once we love, namely our sin, but we love what or who once we hated. God, Christ, our Savior, our Lord. And we determine to live for Jesus. To put Him first. Whatever that might ever mean. And whatever that might ever cost. You see, you need to understand as you face this choice this morning, my friend, are you to be saved or not? Are you to trust in Christ or, or not? There's what the devil wants and there's what the Lord wants. What the devil wants is to keep you right where you are. Perhaps even at this moment, he's Encouraging you in your mind and in your heart to ignore the preacher. He won't be here next week. Different face, different voice. No need to take him seriously. Ignore the preacher, the devil says. Reject Jesus' offer. You don't need to be bothered about this salvation. You don't need to be saved. You don't need this Jesus. Just close your ears and carry on. That's what the devil wants. He wants to keep you right where you are. Right where you are in your sin. Right where you are estranged from God. Right where you are heading to a lost eternity. Right where you are on the fast track to hell. That's what the devil wants. He wants to keep you right where you are. But what the Lord wants, my friend, is that you should be saved. He has your best interests at heart. He wants you to turn to him. He wants you to trust in him that he might bless you with his salvation. That as you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and cast yourself utterly and entirely upon him, he might take your weight and he might see you through. All the way through life, the roller coaster with its ups and downs and twists and turns. All the way through death when the time comes, be that when you're old or, or when you're not so old, be that uh, expected or be that sudden. And all the way into the forevers of eternity, that you might be with him in glory forever. So the devil wants to keep you right where you are. But the Lord wants you to be saved. Let me ask you, my friend, what do you want? What do you want? What choice are you going to make this morning? Understand nothing could be bigger. Our whole theme this morning, it's the big one. The big question. The big answer. And here it is, the big Choice. Nothing could be bigger. It's the biggest choice you will ever make. To be saved or to be lost. To live saved and die saved and enter eternity saved. Or to live lost and die lost and enter eternity lost. To be saved or to be lost. It is the biggest question you will ever make. Biggest choice you will ever make. 
To put it another way, to have Jesus as your Savior or to have Jesus as your judge. Because the Scriptures are clear that each and every one of us must meet Jesus one day. That will be true whether we are Christians or whether we are not. The difference is believers will meet Jesus as their Savior, as their friend. Unbelievers will meet Jesus as their judge, as their enemy. Christians will be welcomed by their Savior into his heaven. Non-Christians will be shut out by Christ and shut up into a deserved eternity in hell. Which is it to be, my friend? Is Christ to be your Savior? Or is Christ to be your judge? Let's put it another way. Are you going to have God for you? Or are you going to have God against you? This God whom you love. And who will love you. And who will be faithful to you. Even when you are unfaithful to him. And who will be for you in all the ups and downs and twists and turns of life. And as surely as he saves you, he will keep you to the end. Are you going to have this God for you? Or are you going to have this God against you? This God who gives you your very next breath. This God to whom you are all that you are and all that you have. You're all and you're, you're everything. Can I have this God for you or against you? Let's put it one more way. Are you going to head to heaven or are you going to head to hell? Because again the scriptures are clear that each and every one of us must sooner or later arrive at one or other of these two great Eternal destinations. We all deserve hell. I deserve hell every bit as much as you. You deserve hell every bit as much as me. Just one sin is enough to keep us out of heaven. To carry us off to hell. And I know enough about me to know I've committed far more than one sin. And I don't need to know anything about you to know that what's true of me is true of you too. We deserve hell. But we're offered heaven. The heaven we could never deserve. The heaven we could never merit. The heaven we could never earn. The heaven which if it was left to us and our efforts would forever be closed to us. That heaven is wide open to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He came from heaven that we might go to heaven. He did at Calvary what we couldn't do for ourselves. Dying in our place. Bearing away our sin. So that the gates of hell which are wide open to us might be closed. And the gates of heaven which were firmly shut to us may be flung wide open. Your sin would take you to hell just as fast as it can carry you there. But the Savior, he offers you heaven. The heaven he won at the cross for all who trust in him. So can I ask you my friend this big choice, what, what's it going to be? Saved or lost. Jesus as your saviour or Jesus as your judge. God for you or God against you. All the forevers of forever in heaven. Or all the forevers of forever 
in hell. Let me encourage you this morning to be like this Philippian jailer all those years ago, long ago and far away, in Philippi, in Acts chapter 16. Be like him. Choose salvation. Choose Jesus. Choose life. Choose heaven. And I promise you with the authority of my Savior this morning, you will never, ever regret it. There will be no one in heaven, no one in heaven, who will have any regret whatsoever that they ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and were saved. But every individual in hell, Every individual in hell will have a thousand and a million regrets that they never took the Lord Jesus Christ seriously and that they despised his offer of mercy and of salvation. My friend, don't let that be you. That doesn't have to be you. You can be saved this morning. Right here, right now. You can trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I plead with you. Be like the Philippian jailer. Choose salvation. Choose Jesus. Choose life. Choose heaven. And you will never, ever regret it. Amen.